Welcome to the Visma Ski Classics podcast, Usha Tulevi. Visma Ski Classics is the long-distance ski championships with 35 pro teams. In season 12, there are 14 races in 12 event locations, bringing pro team athletes and recreational skiers together. On this podcast series, we'll analyze the events on the Pro Tour and the Challenger Series, portray the legends of the sport, and help you to become a better skier. Hello folks, all Visma Ski Classics fans out there in the world. This is Usha Tulevi podcast. I am your host, Teemu Virtanen. And my guest today comes from uh, Switzerland, Arnaud du Pasquier if I pronounce that name well, but he's representing a French team, really an interesting person who has a great background, a good story to tell us, and he's a good top 40 skier aiming to do well at Vasa Lopet. So good to have you on our show, Ano. How are you doing and where are you at right now? Hi, Temu. Thank you very much. Uh, it's an honor. I am uh, Right now I'm in Lausanne, where I actually come from and grew up. And uh, I'm a little bit tired because I just finished two races uh, last weekend at La Transjurassienne, our home race. Yes, that uh, you did like a classic race and a skating race, over 100k of racing, correct? Yeah, exactly, 120. It was 50 kilometers and 70. How did it go? Uh, it went pretty well. I was uh, fifth both times, which was uh, quite a surprise on Sunday, especially. Uh, I was aiming to win the combination of both races there is a, a ranking for the, the total and which which i did uh, but uh, i wasn't expecting to do so good on the race on sunday's race which is the, the skating race the biggest race in france where a lot of people prepare for that there were big names at the start there was jean-marc gaillard for example it was an honor to race with him too and for me also the first time just doing this race so discovering also the course and, and yeah, again, surprisingly, it went really, really well, despite having done the race the day before. You say that surprisingly well, and that's been a bit of a topic in our uh, podcast recordings uh, of late. The fact that you guys race back to weekends back to back, meaning two races uh, back to back on both days, and you experienced that as well. Why do you think that it worked out so well the second day? <laughs> oh well, uh, yeah, and uh, I also want to add uh, not only uh, uh, that there is the, the combination of, of doing two efforts just back to back, but also that the race was in skating, which is something that we have completely stopped to train with my team, as most of the Pismaski Classics uh, uh, teams have, and and so that is also what made it a, a very big surprise, but. Uh, uh, I think it's a, it's a lot of uh, uh, mental toughness uh, because once you have started training for long distance, then there isn't much more, uh, as you might know as a, a long uh, distance skier yourself, that uh, uh, from doing a six hours race or a 12 hours race, it is different, but it isn't that much different anymore than, than doing a sprint and a long distance. Indeed. And you also did König Ludwig Lauf. I mean, you did, uh, we talk about this a little bit later on, Visma Ski Classic races, you did La, La Diego Nela, but then you got sick, you got COVID, and, uh, but you were able to uh, recover and come back and you did uh, König Ludwig Lauf, uh, which is also a challenger event. How did that go? Yeah, it, it was really hard, uh, to be honest. It felt a little bit like uh, having to 
to ski in May when your shape isn't there yet. And uh, the other guys, though, the, uh, there was a team Ramudan at the start. They had all their guys lined up and they put on a hard race from the start. The, the race was very flat, so you, you wanted to have a, a little group coming in the finish. And, and that made the race really hard for me. So I didn't perform so well, but it was really a good effort to get back in shape. And that shows also now this weekend that uh, uh, my, my shape is back now. That's great to to have you back in shape. And I know that Vasalopet will be your big goal. You skipped uh, Tartu Ski Marathon. You're putting your whole focus on on Vasalopet. But we'll talk about you as a skier, but as a person, uh, we'll find out the, the great story that you have. You lived in, in America, in Norway, so you're really an interesting person. So... That'll be next for us, but let's get started with uh, this season and Bismarck Classics first. That'll be in our agenda next. Going back to this season, I uh, just mentioned that uh, you got sick, you had COVID, uh, you had to take a break, and then you got back uh, by doing a Königsberg Lauf and then uh, the the races in your uh, in, in in France which were really important for your team, of course. But looking back to this season, how would you um, analyze uh, all these races so far? I mean, you've been doing really well. You're like a top 40, solid top 40 skier, close to top 30 on a good day. But yeah. is it been, has it been something that you expected or, or you wished a little bit more? Well, yeah, to be frank with you, uh, so far this season has left a little bit of a bitter taste in my mouth up until this weekend, which again was amazing, but uh, uh, isn't a Visma Ski Classics uh, Pro Tour weekend. So as far as the Pro Tour is concerned, uh, I've been a little bit disappointed because uh, uh, I've been pretty unlucky so far on, on all races, actually. I've had broken poles or La Diagonela, I had to finish with a broken ski. I have uh, I race on Fisher and they have a, a hole in front and the, the hole broke. And so... Uh, uh, not to be too technical, but uh, yes, so I've been pretty uh, uh, unlucky and losing spots due to that, which is, I guess, part of uh, uh, gaining experience and becoming a good skier. But uh, I really think and I believe that I haven't quite shown my potential and what I've been uh, training this, uh, this summer yet. And I hope that is to come in the second part of the season in Scandinavia. So when we look at your results from this season, uh, you st- Nusha, you started the individual prologue. You started uh, with uh, fifth. Uh, you were fifty. You finished fiftieth, uh, and that race then pushed us ski marathon much better. Thirty eighth. That was a good race. Then again, that mountain race, mountain piazza, mountain challenge, fifty uh, second. Then La Venosta, yes. Venosta time trial, thirty thirty uh, fifth. Uh, then you also did the La Venosta Open race there, the following race, there was seventh there. Uh, then La Diagonella, you just talked about that, 45th, and now König Ludwig Lauf 10th, and then you mentioned the, land, tr- tr- the La Transjurassien 5th there. But um, when you look at these results, Pustetal Ski Marathon, I guess, was kind of close there. I mean, that's that was a, the best race so far. Yeah, yeah. But I also broke a, a pole. Uh, uh, actually, Martin Jonsrund Sundby uh, broke my pole at, after about 15 kilometers. And he very uh, kindly apologized after that. He, he offered me to buy, uh, uh, to buy me a bottle of wine, actually. <laughs> so that was a, a funny story. And uh, What happened there? Why did he pro, uh, break your pole? 
I guess we were in the group. Uh, as you saw, uh, at first, the first three kilometers were quite tough and, and uh, went uphill. And after, when, when it started going down, uh, the pace got uh, uh, increased a lot. And the, the group started slimming down. And after this, for maybe uh, eight kilometers, we came all together close to a river. And at that point, uh, well, I don't really know because I was ahead of him, but he, he came from behind and, and I just stayed uh, just behind the, the guy was, uh, who was in front of me. And, and somehow my pole just broke. I didn't have time to react or anything. And, and he directly apologized. And, and so it was his mistake. And he, he, that is, those are things that, that happen in a big group too. It, it happened to me and, and to a lot of other people as well. But sadly, it was at a spot which was very difficult for coaches to, to come and help skiers. So I had to do more than a kilometer with a pole and a half, which when you're double poling is quite uh, inconvenient, uh, to say the least. And actually, it went, uh, 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 you showed this on, the, on, the, uh, on your platform, where you, you show the races. Uh, and we see uh, the moment when Sergei Ustyugov, who was standing by and watching the race, gave me a pole. And that is the pole I also finished the race with. Wow, that's interesting. You got the, the pole from Sergei. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, still was, managed that was amazing. To, managed to do really well. I mean, that was still <laughs> your best race of the season. Yeah, yeah, so far. Or I guess the, the 10 kilometer La Venosta time trial was my best race uh, with the 35th rank. But uh, I'm really not a short distance skier and not a powerful uh, double puller. So to, that this is my uh, best result so far really shows that, that I think I can do more in, in these kind of races. Yeah, you certainly have the capacity and uh, let's hope that Vasalopet, you don't have any mishaps or bad luck there. But going back to uh, the, the previous year, 21, uh, you did seven races last year. And when we look at those results, you were pretty solid. Uh, Topla Cortina, 41st, Machalonga, 35th, Iseska Paresatka, uh, 41st again, then 42nd at Vasalopet, your best Vasalopet result, and then Volodals Rennet, 35th. When you go back to uh, the last season, what do you want to say about it? I mean, really solid performances. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, for me, last season was my very first season in the Vismaski Classics where I had been training and preparing for it. So I was very happy with the results, especially with uh, Marcia Longa, uh, where not only did I finish 35th, but before that I managed to be in front, in the very front of the race for uh, a few kilometers, coming into the, the stadium, for example, in Val di Fiemme. And, and I got a, a little bit of prize money for being uh, uh, in the top three at certain checkpoints. And that was a, a realization for me to see, wow, uh, it's a big race, it's a, a grand slam race, and, and I can be amongst the top guys here. And so that was a, a very cool feeling and gave me also a lot of motivation for, for training this summer and preparing this season. And uh, speaking of that, being number one there, coming leading the, the, the group, being kind of a rookie in, in the sport, what were you thinking at that time? Like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm in the lead. <laughs> Oh, well, uh, uh, I guess I wasn't thinking so. Actually, yeah, a little bit uh, to give you a, a bit of a background story. Um, 
we had some teammates who, who had to be in the hospital because of the cold conditions at La Llagonela. And they didn't manage uh, uh, so well with the cold. And uh, so they couldn't come to, to La Marcha Longa, which is, of course, uh, also a big uh, date in the calendar. And so I was thinking uh, uh, about them a lot during this race. And you, you see me in, at the moment on TV, I do a sign, which is a sort of an inside uh, joke that we have uh, with our uh, friend. And one of our friends, Thomas Jolie, was at the hospital at this point. And I, so I was thinking quite about uh, people watching uh, when I was in front of that race. Now, that's, that's a funny story, good story uh, to tell and share. <laughs> But then let's talk about your story as a skier. You just mentioned that last season was your first one as a long-distance skier. But when and how did you get into skiing and uh, what's, the, uh, what's the background there? Yeah, for sure. So um, originally I'm, a, I'm an alpine skier. I grew up, you know, I'm, I'm from here in, in Lausanne in Switzerland, which is a place where there isn't so much snow. And uh, cross-country skiing is definitely not a big thing. And in Switzerland in general, you would say that alpine skiing is more the national sport. And my dad was an alpine skier. He won the university games in Sofia in 83 uh, in the downhill. And uh, so I grew up being an alpine skier, not necessarily being very good or very professional, but that's the sport I did. And uh, at 13, I moved from... Uh, Lausanne, where I live in, on the French side, to uh, the Engadin, which uh, you know because of the race uh, La Diagonela, but uh, uh, there was no race at that point <laughs> when I moved. There was the Engadin Ski Marathon, and uh, I went to a boarding school there, and I started cross-country skiing slowly over there, and uh, that is how I evolved uh, into cross-country skiing. That's also where uh, I think my talent lies more. That must have been tough, you know, coming from the downhill skiing at that age. Scandinavians, they you tend to ski whenever, you know, almost from the age when they're born. So you yeah. started at the age of 13 or so. I mean, technically, did it take you a long time to kind of grasp the, you know, the, the secrets of cross-country skiing? Oh, yes, for sure. Especially technically, I had a lot of struggles. But when I started, I never really uh, envisioned that it, could be something that I would do seriously or professionally or or however you want to call it. I I started yeah already quite late and even then I didn't uh, I went once a week with the ski club and I was by far the worst and cross country skiing was not or is still not such a big thing in Switzerland. So uh, there wasn't anyone my age or or people or group that I could share uh, this passion with. So, so at first, yeah, I took it really slow and it was more a hobby and, and a way to just uh, get your energy out. Which, and for that, that was great because uh, I had to start from, from, from the bottom and it was very tiresome, as everyone knows who has tried cross-country skiing. Indeed, but when did you realize that this could be something, or cross-country skiing could be something that uh, you could approach more seriously? Oh, very late, very late to be honest. It, it, it grew on me with the ages. So actually from, from 13 until 18, until I finished my high school degree, I was focusing solely on my studies. And, uh, but my last year, I heard about the, the school system in the US and uh, that they, they also sponsor uh, uh, athletes to study there. And I wanted to get a, a, a spot on a university team in the US 
And so that motivated me to start summer training, to try roller skis on for the first time at 17 and, and start preparing a little bit more for cross-country skiing. And then later during my studies, I, I really uh, um, I grew, uh, uh, or cross-country ski really grew on me and I also progressed suddenly a lot. I took a gap year and I qualified for the World Cup in Davos and that really uh, gave me the motivation also no, the motivation I had, but it really made me realize that I could maybe live from that and, and do this professionally. So after my studies, that is when I, I decided to take it really seriously and went to live in Norway for two years. And we'll talk about that a little bit, little bit yeah, later yeah. on and also also about the years uh, in the States, uh, Boulder, Cali uh, Colorado. Uh, that'll be interesting, of course. Uh, but going back to that a little bit, you mentioned that uh, in your country, cross-country skiing isn't really that popular, but what about Dario Colonia's uh, influence, him being the, the multiple gold medalist at the Olympics? I, I assume there must have been some kind of a, you know, knowledge or fan base, you know. For, yes, so in Switzerland, we say there is the Colonia effect, actually, which is uh, all the young kids right now enrolling in ski clubs, and, and ski clubs are booming thanks to him. And we have a lot, uh, we owe a lot to, to Dario for, for this. But uh, he just uh, had his breakthrough when, when I had started cross-country skiing. So this was just a little bit before he, he started winning first Tour de Ski, then the Olympics, and the overall World Cup. And, and yeah, I, it was just about at that time that, that I started skiing. And how did you get, I mean, you must have get, get, gotten some help because it must have been really difficult for you, as you said, technically to grasp, you know, cross-country skiing and the finesse of it. W was there anyone helping you or? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, yes, for sure. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, uh, there were, there was a ski club. But uh, in the ski club and in the local training group, we were six people and uh, four of them were girls, <laughs> older than me. And there was one other guy uh, and yeah, we, that was it. We were uh, six people for the whole region of the Engadin, which if you have been there, is quite uh, uh, unbelievable. Or I think the ratio of kilometers of tracks versus uh, uh, strong athletes is, is not uh, <laughs> uh, matching. No, it's a great place. It's a, one of the greatest places to do cross-country skiing in the world, I think. Uh, but so you should get a little bit of a, you know, help and support there, uh, technically, I assume, as, as well. You just mentioned that then eventually, when you got more serious, you qualified uh, to the, uh, you know, the doubles, you know, the World Cup race. At that time, what was your sort of uh, goal or what were you aiming at? Were you thinking about career in standard distances or was the long distance already kind of in the back of your mind? No, absolutely not. No, I was solely focusing on, on the World Cup skiing. You could say the FIS standard uh, skiing. I wanted to make the Swiss national team and I was training purely for that. And also I still had a, left, uh, a year left in the US because it was in the middle of my studies. And so uh, we raced normal distances. So I was training only for that. And then when did long distance skiing, you know, come about and, and why? Uh, after my studies, I took uh, two seasons to train in Norway to, to sort of experience the real skiing in a way. Uh, I often say uh, if you're a jazz player in the 50s, you would move to New Orleans. Or if you were an engineer in the 80s, you'd go to Silicon Valley. 
And uh, well, if you're a skier now and you want to experience skiing, you should go to Norway and and see skiing the way it, it's usually or it's meant to be <laughs> or it came from. And uh, uh, that was my idea when moving to Norway. And I did two seasons there, trying to be a really good overall distance uh, skier. And there I realized with a few races at the end of the season that I had a talent in, in long-distance skiing. And after two years, without any big breakthrough, I did some solid results, but never really had this, this yeah, breakthrough that brought me as far as I aimed to go in traditional skiing. I thought, okay, well, maybe I, I should try long-distance. If, if I'm more talented at that, it probably makes more sense. And also... I had a lot more fun on long-distance races, I have to say. And then did your team Nordic Experience uh, came calling, or how did you approach them, or did they approach you? Yeah, well, um, in in my home now, in the Engadin, there is a long-distance race, sort of long-distance, called the Engadin Ski Marathon. And uh, the year that uh, I decided to switch, uh, I think from place two, Dario won this race, but from place two until place 12, uh, it was dominated by French guys. And all of these guys were on different teams. It was Rossignol, Haute-Savoie uh, Nordic team, Team Vercors. But uh, I saw this and I thought, well, I, I should probably try to get on a French team. They seem pretty strong at long distance in skating. And uh, I got in touch with one team, Haute-Savoie Nordic team, and they accepted me. And that's how I started the journey into long-distance skiing. And now you're representing the, the French team, Nordic Experience. experience. Yes. Yeah, how, so is, that team, how, how is the oh, team? Sorry. Tell me about it. Yes. So this team is actually an evolution of that team that I actually uh, that I started to join, the Haute-Savoie Nordic team. But uh, now we are solely uh, focusing on, on the Vismaski Classics races, only on double polling, and we're really trying to match the big Scandinavian team. So this is our goal, to represent the, the long-distance double polling in the center of uh, uh, Europe. So you guys have been training a lot over the summer. I know you've, you've, you've been having a lot of training camps focusing on double polling. Uh, it must have been kind of tough to leave skating behind because I know that you, you are a good skater. That your result you know, from this weekend uh, yeah. proves that. But uh, And for all of yeah, you guys, yes. just to do double polling. <laughs> yes, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So a lot of athletes have actually changed or quit or or uh, some of them are still here. But it's definitely been difficult to give up skating. And uh, I still have, I think, a natural talent more towards skating than double polling. I never was a strong double poler. But on the other hand, it's really fun to try something new, to evolve, to see another side of skiing. That is what keeps me going because I'm not the youngest anymore. And our team is really young in that way. The, the the experiences we make and regarding training, we are searching and experiencing a lot of new things, and and that makes it uh, very motivating to keep going. You just mentioned your age. You were born in 1992, so still exactly. relatively young, not, not not too old, but <laughs> uh, but I, I get your point. But let's talk about the the years uh, years that you spend in America and then Norway. I'm pretty intrigued about about uh, those those experiences that you have. So that'll be next for us. America. 
Uh, of course, I lived there myself, so I'm really interested <laughs> in knowing more about that. And how did that come about? You kind of touched upon the issue a little bit there earlier, and uh, then you went to uh, Boulder, Colorado. You skied in a, a ski team there, kind of got a hang of it. But how was that experience for you to be living in the in the in the big world in the states? Uh, it was one of the greatest uh, decisions I made in my life. Uh, I can say honestly that uh, it opened my eyes to a lot of things. It gave me uh, contact with a lot of friends around the world now that, uh, as you probably might have, uh, or you know what I'm talking about, coming from Reno, you you get to know a lot of like-minded people that come from all over the world. It, it's uh, I grew. I grew so much during those years. Uh, I really regret nothing of, of that decision. It was something amazing that I can truly advise to anyone who is considering studying in the US. Uh, try it. Really give it your all. It, it's only good things come of it. But it's not that easy to uh, to get into a university because you have to. I mean, a scholarship. I mean, need need a scholarship. Tuition is really usually really expensive. So, how did you tackle that issue, or did you get a scholarship right away, or how did that work out in your case? No, actually, yeah. No, uh, uh, to be honest with you, the first years I just got a spot on the team, but I didn't even get a scholarship. So my parents supported me for the first two years, and it was one of my goals that motivated me in training to to get a scholarship, which I finally got for the last two years. And uh, no, but at first, also, I was focusing a lot more on my studies than than skiing. And the reason why I chose to go to Boulder, Colorado was because of the three physics uh, Nobel Prizes they had at the time. Now it's five. And uh, uh, because I, I wanted to study physics, I knew that uh, I actually did a double degree in uh, physics and math. And so that was what my eyes were more uh, looking at before uh, the, the athletic side. And did you finish your studies? Did you complete the, the bachelor? Study? Yes, yes, I did. Yeah, both of them. All right, that must have been a great moment to to graduate and and. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, the graduation is just the, in the end you, you get a paper, but uh, the time over there was amazing. It was tough also sometimes to combine both uh, high academic degree with high athletic uh, performances, especially while you're on a scholarship. The, your expectations are very high, uh, as we have talked before. You, you are, or there is a certain demand. You represent the school, and and people are sort of paying for you. So you must uh, deliver. But uh, I had a great time overall. So let's talk about that team that you had there. I know how it is. You know when you're representing a university team, and you also have to take care of your academic uh, studies as well. It's not an easy balance sometimes. But the team itself, how was the team, and what did you learn from that? team because we're still pretty much in a, uh, going through a learning process when it comes to a cross-country skiing. Absolutely. And I think that is the, the key word for me during the time is I came on the team and I was rather young compared to a lot of other athletes from Europe who get recruited in uh, university teams. Uh, because I came straight from high school, I hadn't done any year trying out professional skiing at all. I was, uh, again, sure, I just wanted to continue my studies and, and keep skiing while doing that. Uh, so for me, it was a very big learning process to be able to train with older guys and, and also have this kind of 
team mentality that you don't get in in skiing normally and and it's something that i also very uh appreciate in long distance skiing that we we work as teams and and you can get happy for the team performing well it's not only your individual performance that counts as it does usually in, in traditional skiing more that seems to be a very american and spirit they always very much into team spirit and and supporting each each other but then what about boulder colorado as a place <laughs> oh it's an amazing place boulder is is fantastic it's a uh, uh, very warm and uh, beautiful summers almost too hot and uh, cold winters full of snow you train really high because uh, uh, boulder itself is on the plateau of uh, denver which is mile high so 1600 meters and then the the ski resorts are over 3000 meters at eldora uh, so that is something you have to get u- used to, but but it works very well. Usually we did uh, hard intensities down low and went on on easier trainings up in the mountain. So do you ever miss those days? Or do you go back to visit your friends? <laughs> yes, a lot. Actually, we, me and my family, we we have a house there because my my brother also went to uh, Boulder University and he's two years younger than me. So we have a house there that we currently rent out to, to some skiers. Maybe you know Magnus Kim, the Korean Norwegian skier. He's living at my house currently in Boulder. And I keep close touch with the, the ski team of Boulder. That's great. Maybe we should go there and uh, ski together. I mean, uh, it's, uh, and it would be nice to have a Visma Ski Classics race uh, in the States as well. But uh, we'll see if that ever happens. But then after that you decided to, as you said, you decided to move to the, the mecca of cross-country skiing from uh, from the States to Norway. Let's go back there. I mean, why? I mean, you kind of mentioned that you you needed to go there because that's where the kind of the, you know, the it's the hub, it's the center of uh, cross-country skiing. But why did you make that type of decision? You know, that's, that was a tough step in your life. <laughs> Well, no, not at all. Actually, it, it was very, very clear to me at that time, and, and it still is. Uh, during my studies, I discovered more and more that uh, uh, the work as a physicist, that what, what I had studied, uh, what, when I had to choose uh, a subject, what I wanted to study, I chose something like uh, that I would like to learn more about. But I didn't re- necessarily think this is going to be a job for me. And as I was getting towards uh, uh, finishing the degree. I I tried out some some of the professional sides of teaching or uh, uh, research in physics, and I discovered that it's not necessarily what I would like to do later. And uh, but one thing that I was getting better and better at, and that I loved more and more, was skiing. So close to finishing, I took a gap year to try out professional skiing and that went pretty well and and i i loved it so at the end of my studies i decided that that is what i really wanted to do i wanted to try to be a professional skier but then i thought if 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 i should give it a shot then i want to give it a real shot and and in switzerland we have a small cross-country ski community and i think it is possible but it is more motivated motivating and and easier to go and see a new place. And after the experience I had in the US, I really wanted to, to see Norway. There are also a lot of Scandinavian skiers in the US, so I had good contacts over there. And, and yes, it made the transition very easy. And speaking of which, I mean, how did you arrange it? You mentioned that you had contacts, but you, you have to have, 
you have to know someone to go there. It's not like, oh, I'm just going to go to Norway and live there and then ski. Yeah, well, it was just as I said, thanks to a lot of friends that I had in the US, I felt at home directly in Oslo. Actually, the first week we started having dinners at my apartment and then, yeah, I directly had friends. And I had a ski club who took me in and, and everything was already fixed, you would say, thanks to thanks to my contacts that I made in the US. And weren't you in the same ski club as Kaspar Stados? Yes, that's correct. Heming. That's where I got to know him. Oh, so you guys are good friends, of course. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, uh, I, I love Kaspar. He's uh, more than a friend now. He's an inspiration. The way he, he grew in this circuit is, is amazing. And I, I'm really happy for him. You're following his footsteps, but let's talk about those years in in Norway and the ski club. First of all, what's, what's the name of the ski club, and what Heming. kind of yeah, and what kind of trainings did you uh, guys do, and and what did you learn from those guys in Norway? Well, um, let's see how. So the the club is Heming. It's one of the most traditional clubs in Oslo, uh, uh, which is uh, uh, very. I would say very nice because it's a big club. There is also soccer and tennis and freestyle skiing. And uh, uh, it made it uh, uh, very nice to be there. You, you get uh, to experience a lot of things. And um, uh, what I learned from training uh, was to be very rigorous. It's, I guess maybe I might not have learned so many new things as far as purely training goes. But I just finally had the time to, to do this and, and focus on that and, and feel that, wow, this is Norwegian skiing or this is skiing at its top level. And, and um, someone like Casper, you have in every single ski club in Norway. And, and, and you get to train with these guys. You get to see where the work is done before you, you, you see these people on TV. Because there is only one person who is going to be like Casper and do the work all the way until you see them at the, on TV and on the podium. But there are a lot of guys who quit or you, you see all the, all the, how would you say, the, the, the strings of the show, the, the, the backside of, uh, uh, yes, of the show. Yeah, the funny thing is that uh, you lived uh, in the stage and now in Norway. Believe it or not, I actually lived in Norway too. <laughs> oh, yes, when I, really? Yes, okay. when I was uh, uh, much younger, like seventh, eighth grader, and I was into skiing, mm. so I can understand what you're saying. And what I found out, out back then was that the, the support that I got from my ski club was Badum Hervik Ski Club, and, and I got a little, a lot of support for, you know, from from that team. So that's why I'm kind of asking you the kind of the support you got and what you learned from those teams and what kind of trainings did you guys, how often did you train together and, and, and things like that. Kind of the Norwegian mentality that they have, you know, when it comes yeah, to yeah. Uh, cross-country skiing. So, uh -huh. so what did you like take from that experience? <laughs> that is a tough question, I must say. Um, it just helped me grow a lot and and well we trained often together almost every day and uh, uh it, but it wasn't only through the ski club i would say that the ski club heming was helping me more on training camps and uh, uh on races supporting me a lot and there they were more than professional i have never seen uh this many dedicated waxers that would get up sometimes at three in the morning on the day before a race to test skis and I, I've seen things that I didn't know uh, you could do. Uh, for example, as far as preparing skis, 
the waxers would ski the actual distance with the wax there and they would test the wax every five kilometers or so even on a 50 kilometers to see which wax evolved the best in a race and and things like that so that was a, a, i got a very big support in 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 terms of the ski club and then during training during the week it was more a group of friends meeting up from different kind of uh, um, of uh, clubs for example uh, another person that i know well and appreciate a lot is uh, Karstein Johauk, who is also now in, in the long distance circuit. That's interesting. You, you guys are g- good friends there. But uh, uh, f- for how long did you stay there? And uh, how was the place itself, Oslo, you know, uh, to live coming from Boulder and also, of course, your, your home country? Very different places. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, the, the Norwegian people are very different, but uh, uh, it was amazing to. Uh, get closer to a, a bigger city. At that age, you know, I had only lived, or I grew up in the Engadin, which is very small. And then I went to Boulder, which is a bit of a, uh, a, bit of a bigger city. And then Oslo was finally a, a big city. And uh, it was, a, uh, or it is a great place, I think, where you can combine the city social life with skiing, which is something you rarely find as a cross-country skier. And you were there for a year or... Several years. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was there for uh, more than a year for two years. I did two full winters. And do you now miss that place? I mean, you said you still miss, <laughs> you know, Colorado and Boulder. You go back there. But what about Norway? I assume you go back there all the time. Yes, yes, Temu. I, I miss it a lot. But uh, I also miss the time to to look back and and, and visit these places, sadly. But yes, it, it's definitely on, on my to-do list to go and visit my friends and I keep in touch with some of them. Some of them are going to get married soon, so I'm going to have to go back. But uh, yes, I, I miss that time a lot. Of course you do. And as you said, Norway and Norwegians are great people. Uh, but we'll move on. We'll talk about you a little bit more about you. And I'll be talking about your studies and those two places that, that you lived in. But a little bit about you as a person. And uh, you mentioned that you slowly but surely got into cross-country skiing. But let's talk about Arnaud as a person. That'll be next for us. When you think about yourself, you've seen a lot. Are you different places, Norway, you know, the States, your home country, you're representing a French team, you have a lot of friends and all that. It seemed to be a really an open person. Uh, but how would you describe yourself as a person? Not that much as a skier yet, but now more as a person. And then we talk about you as a skier. I think about it. I think I'm one of those people who wishes they could have like 50 lives so they could live it all if you know what i mean uh i have a very hard time to to not do something i i hate when somebody tells me you can't do that it's too late or or i i just want to see it all and i, I think there are so many good things to see in life it it it's sometimes i struggle with that are a you, lot actually, are you hyperactive how many choices we have are you hyperactive um, <laughs> I don't know if uh, sometimes I'm really lazy too, but uh, maybe it might seem from the outside that I'm a little bit hyperactive. Yeah. And then uh, what about you as a skier? Based on that, that you're active, very active. but And you mentioned earlier that double polling isn't really your uh, cup of tea, but you've no, evolved a lot. Yeah. 
Not at all. I think my biggest talent in skiing is that I have none. <laughs> it's something that I often say. Uh, when I started, I was terrible. I was terrible at uh, technique. I was terrible at uh, explosivity. I uh, I always had to work for everything that uh, uh, I wanted to get. And uh, the only thing that, that helped me through this was to never give up. And, and which is something that my parents told me. It's more important to have fun and, and enjoy it and just trust the process. Uh, and I also never really uh, had big expectations until now. That is something that I learned uh, through the last couple of years. But it helped me to develop a very strong endurance, I think. Going out on big sessions and just enjoying it and, and do races. And even if I wasn't uh, winning or even if I was last when I started, I always gave it my all. And I think that helped me to progress and, and made me into the skier that I am. So you would say the tenacity and being a persistent are maybe your greatest qualities. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, to, to be honest, I think also that is why uh, I am able to perform so well, for example, at uh, the yesterday's race and, and last weekend, where you have two races back-to-back, and there are a lot of people who focus on only one race and suddenly, yeah, it doesn't go so well for them. But for me, I, I was tired from the start yesterday and I just uh, thought I'm bringing it to the finish. And training-wise, let's talk about that a little bit. You've gone through all these steps and you learned a lot from, you know, from your years in, uh, in Boulder and also Norway. But generally speaking, how do you, how do you train? What are kind of your... What's your philosophy there and and also with your team? Do you guys have a philosophy or? Yes, yes, a lot. Um, uh, first, we we try to uh, uh, see, uh, replicate or watch and replicate and learn from the Scandinavian teams. One of the big things we brought this year was the so-called Pasa Pass or the Pasa trainings to try to mix long sessions with uh, hard training or hard uh, moments in a long session, uh, hard intensities. Uh, that is one thing and one philosophy that me and my team use a lot. And then do you have like a, are you a firm believer in plug training or do you, do you tend to have different type of weeks or how do you structure your training or formulate it? Uh, well, uh, me, myself, or the team is, uh, the, uh, uh, we don't do block training so much. Usually we, we have one Vasa Pass every training camp and we have a couple of training camps uh, every three or so weeks. But uh, m myself, I actually think that uh, block training can be uh, very good. Uh, and I think it, it can be regarded as, everything can be regarded as cycles. And you might not have to do any block training during one year. But maybe after two years, you want to bring that back. And it's the same for altitude or more running or things like that. So it's pretty much just mixing it up a little bit in your case. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think that uh, changing it up is, is very important for the body. And how many hours do you train per year? I'm around 800 right now. That's a good number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's okay. And how much of that is uh, double poling and roller skiing? And skiing? Oh, yes. Um, oh, I have to look at the numbers, but uh, it's uh, pretty much all double polling. And then uh, we do some recovery sessions or sometimes when there is an opportunity, like last weekend, some skating. 
but most of it is double pulling and there is no classic i'm afraid my <laughs> classic skis have not been used in quite a while now and then what about in the summertime do you go running or cycling a little bit or is it just p purely uh, roller skiing throughout yeah I, I love to run i'm a i think a good runner a talented runner that is uh, maybe the the only or that is what pushed me actually into becoming a cross-country skier. When I was an alpine skier, I was very good at all the running tests we had. So I like to run and do some running competitions, especially flat running. Uh, but I, I don't get to do so much of it because of all the double pulling now. But uh, I think it's a, it, it's a good way of uh, mixing things or also getting the heart going. I love uh, uphill running, like most Norwegians, uphill running treadmill intervals. Uh, those are amazing to get your VO2 max high and, and your heart going. And then this season, you know, you're recovering uh, from uh, COVID. You actually recovered pretty well as this season uh, proved. And now Vasaloped is the next big thing and the whole, the rest of the season. And then, So how are you now approaching this, knowing that you have this capacity out there, you, you trained well, and uh, you could be pretty close to the top, or let's say top uh, 10, top 15. So what are your goals? And, and yes. what, what do you want to achieve this season? Well, uh, as we've said, I'm, I think I'm pretty endurance endurance myself but uh, what i'm lacking is a little bit more uh, power and that is where i struggle a lot and that is also why i've been struggling with double polling a lot because i'm not necessarily a very strong person or strong built person and so that is what i'm going to focus my training on between now and vasalopet i do a lot of strength training and and towards gaining more power more watts you could say if uh, we were in cycling uh, trying to be able to do these injection of speeds when 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 it's needed when you're just going over a small hill as you have in Vasalopet you don't necessarily have very steep and long hills but you have a lot of small times when you you need to to react quickly and and give just a, a little bit a few uh, what's more than you usually would and and that is what costs me usually a, a lot of energy so your strength training is that being in the gym lifting weights or do you do what they call kind of the natural uh, strength training which could be like double pulling on a steep hill hills or both it's both it's uh, definitely both i believe uh, strength training is a little bit like uh, uh, nutrition you should have a full plate of everything that's that's a good uh, <laughs> way of you know putting it uh then what about the longer term? I mean, this season you want to do well at Barcelona, but then now you're really into this. You're realizing that long distance skiing is is uh, your forte. In the long term, what do you want to achieve? <laughs> On in skiing, you mean? In skiing, yes. Oh, well, th that is a hard question. Uh, I mean, I can I don't know if I can really honestly answer uh, if I have any goals. I I can say what my motivation is. Um, first of all, I, I, I just want to have fun. That is my, my biggest motivation in life. Like most people, I think this is the most important. And what lets me have fun now is to try to perform on the circuit, not just experience as I've done most of my life. I've done sports for fun. But in the last couple of years, I discovered the pleasure of trying to prepare something seriously and trying to be professional and have goals and, and expectations 
And so this is something I really enjoy now. I, I love to think, okay, Vasalopet is the biggest goal for me this season. I want to perform for it, so I'm going to train and and then achieve that or not. I, I think the experiences you get from that, from failing or succeeding, are are they are fun, <laughs> to to put it simple. So so that is. I hope in the next couple of years I'm going to achieve more of that. And now maybe on a broader scheme. Um, one of my biggest motivation too is is being the best Swiss skier on the circuit. Uh, it's something I take pride on, and I hope I can show uh, to younger Swiss skiers uh, a way that is a little different and and that can keep them going when things to be uh, uh, seems to be going wrong in the normal traditional uh, way in 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 Switzerland and, and maybe also around the world. To, to go study in the US and, and, and try new things. So that is certainly a tangible and a concrete go- a goal to be the best uh, Swiss skier. But are you telling me that you don't really have a um, goal per se, meaning that you think about, like, as you know, athletes tend to think in terms of results, top 10 or being on a podium or win a race or things like that. That's kind of how athletes are, you know, built. So are you not, you're telling me you, you're not, you don't really have a dream like, oh, I wish I could be in a top 10 one of these days or win this or that? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. But it, it, it's not, I guess, that big for me as it is for, for most athletes. Uh, because, again, I, I, I'm more towards uh, growing as a person. But, yeah, I, uh, this season I want to be in the top 30. I think I can do that. And uh, in general, in the long-term goal, if there is maybe one dream, I can say, it would be to, to win La Diagonela. That is the, the race that, is, uh, that I have the closest at heart uh, of the whole series. Of course, it's, your, it's a race on your home turf, <laughs> in the place where yes. you live. It has to be. It's goal. more than that. It, it actually finishes just a few hundred meters in front of my school. And now it starts at my home. So I went to the start uh, on skis this year, and and then uh, <laughs> it feels like uh, I'm back in high school. It's gotta be, you know, amazing to have a race there, and uh, that to be a Visma Ski Classics race, uh, and to be able to to be there racing at La, La Diagonela. Yeah, it, it really is. It really is. So yes, if there is one goal that I have in the long term, it would be to to perform well there. But winning is really hard. But but yes, it would be to win. If I could, that is the race I would like to win. More than Vasalopet or Machalonga or any other. Maybe Casper and, and uh, you know, the, your friends can help <laughs> help you there, you know. Casper and Karsta, you know, maybe they help you out there. You can win that one of these days. But uh, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> but the uh, you just mentioned that uh, you also l- love to uh, learn to grow that's a important part of your your life that's why you do this you want to have fun but also uh you know to grow over the years and become you know something bigger i guess uh but when you think about that in terms of that what what do you want to who do you want to be in terms of being a human being because you want to you know you always want to grow what is the goal there Yes, uh, you mean not as a skier? No, right? no, no. As as a human being, as as a person, as a man. Well, that that is something I I have a lot of ideas, uh, but I cannot tell you I want to be uh, 
uh, teacher or uh, any kind of job. I, I have a lot of uh, uh, directions that I would like to take. When I was younger, I really wanted to be a comedian, a stand-up comedian. That was really first. that's interesting. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I uh, I was ten, and uh, I didn't really know. You know, a lot of kids want to be pilots or cowboys, or and I never had quite uh, uh, one of these uh, uh, dreams. But then we went to a show uh, with my family to a stand-up comedy show, and and I. I didn't even know that existed. It was the first time. And I saw my parents laugh. I didn't understand any of the jokes, but I saw them laugh and cry there, <laughs> eyeballs out. And I thought, this is what I want to do. This is amazing. And so from 10 until, until 17, when I decided I wanted to study physics, um, I was preparing to be a standard comedian. I was writing jokes and doing uh, theater camps. And it was... Uh, and it, so... Yeah, it still is. I shouldn't say it was. It still is a, a dream of mine. And I hope later in the future I can give that a shot. And But I also want to be... I like physics and, and maybe go back and teach a little bit of physics. And I also like finance quite a lot. Uh, so work in that. Uh, there are a lot of directions. And right now I'm quite undecided where I want to go next. But uh, I think it will come to me. If there is one thing I know for sure is everything comes in time. That's really interesting. Stand-up comedy. I wasn't really thinking that that could be something that you have on your <laughs> plate. Uh, do you have any heroes when it comes to or you know big names that you have always admired or in in terms of a stand-up comedy? Uh, well, yeah, I, I have a lot of uh, uh, French comedians. I know pretty much all of them. Uh, but uh, in the big, uh, uh, if you talk about international comedians, well, there is a Gadel Malé in, in French who is uh, now uh, in New York. But uh, there used to be a comedian, Louis C.K., I really liked him a lot. And uh, um, George Carlin is one of the older ones. He, is now, uh, he has passed away. Uh, I really liked his humor. And I don't, do you know any of these? Or? Uh, yeah, Carlin, I know, I do, I do know, yes. Yeah, you know, Carlin. Okay, yeah. Uh, in in what language would you like to do that? Both French and English, I assume. I guess, yeah. That's that could be one of the uh, and and even German, and uh, yeah, I haven't thought that uh, so much through. But uh, mostly back in those days, I was uh, uh, working in French then. <laughs> and you're still writing jo uh, jokes. You, you mentioned that you still have that in a kind of in the back of your yeah, mind. No. Yeah, I've kept them, but I'm not writing anything anymore. But you would love to. Yeah, yeah, at some point, yes, yes. But for right now, yeah, <laughs> I'm training now and uh, focusing on other things. But for sure, it's something I also think uh, it's not necessarily bad to, to live your, uh, your envies of the moment. It can help you grow to have stories to tell later. Indeed, and you can always go back to that. You know, you can become older and still you be a very experienced because as you know you draw you draw from your experiences when you when you write and, and do stand-up comedy or any any creative work uh, per, per se but uh, then what else do you want to achieve in in your life <laughs> ah that's a, a good question well I, I would love to travel the world and and one of my biggest dreams would be to to have a sailboat and sail around the world Wow. I mean, you, you constantly surprise me. <laughs> New things from stand-up <laughs> comedy to sailing around the world. 
I told you, I, I, or I wish I could have 50 lives to <laughs> live them all. You certainly, you certainly are hyperactive and always coming up with uh, uh, new ideas. Then what about family? Yeah, that, uh, that would also come uh, sometime in the future. Uh, but uh, I mean, right now, when, when you're a young athlete, it's uh, maybe not something you think about too often. Even though uh, I have a girlfriend... Uh, who lives in Sweden, and she has a daughter, a lovely daughter, who is seven years old. So, so it gives me a little bit of a taste of what it's like to have a family already. Okay, she lives in Sweden, you live in Switzerland. I mean, how does that work out? <laughs> well, actually, surprisingly well. Uh, we try to meet, and we meet rather often. Uh, and when we do, it, 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 can, it is quite intensive, so, so it is nice. It helps a lot, I think, with... Uh, uh, what you need as a as an athlete, you need some time to focus solely on your goals and train hard. But sometimes you also want to take a break and still have uh, a normal life. And, and uh, so the fact that we're apart from each other helps a lot to live what we have when we can quite intensively. And, and yeah, it's it's amazing. I'm very happy. And then, what about your own uh, family, your parents and siblings and so forth? Can you tell us about them a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So I have a, a younger brother who is, uh, however, taller and stronger than me, and he he stuck to alpine skiing. So, uh, and he was very good too, but uh, has quit now. He's an engineer in London for uh, autonomous driving cars. Uh, it's a company that you might know. It's uh, stuck on. It's um, quoted on the uh, Nasdaq stock exchange. Uh, it's called Arrival, and he works for them. And, and uh me and him are very close i would say he's he's my best friend uh because we have lived through so many things together we we both moved from lausanne to the engadin together and had to start learning german very young and went to school in german and then we both went to the us and and so that has brought us uh very close i think and we keep uh, close contact and then what about your mom and dad and yes, well, my mom and dad, yeah, they support me uh, a lot, and uh, uh, I try to see them as much as I can, and we are very close. Yeah. Where do they live? Do they live uh, uh, in the same country? Uh, they, yes, yes, they are a bit also between Lausanne and the Engadin. They usually spend the summer in Lausanne uh, when it's warm, and then in the mountains in the winter in the Engadin. Good. So it seems to me that uh, everything's in, in a perfect harmony in, in your life. So is there anything you, you would wish, you know, that are just pretty happy with your life right now as it's Yes, um, I wish I had more time. But <laughs> the one thing, it goes by too fast. That, that Tell me about it. I know how, how that is. But yeah. we can't do anything about that. We can't just stop the clocks or it's, yeah. you turn back time, you know, the, the time. Uh, it's a bit of controversy because we don't have enough time, but we're both long distance gear, which takes even more time. So yes, that's true. But maybe that's the, that's the part of the the, the the lure or the uh, attraction that you you can go there, you know, and you on your own, and you spend that time even even if you spend hours on skiing and doing these things, you know, it's your own time. Yeah, but good uh, to l- wrap things up. I'd like to ask you uh, about your let's say like advice or what would you like to tell to the, the people listening to this because you have a really a great you know kind of background and story and you know inspirational in, in many ways what is your encouragement 
to the people listening out there so that they could fulfill their dreams, whatever they are? (laughs) That is also a big one. Um, Let me think a moment. I would say, looking back, um, I think that there have been moments when I I also felt stuck in in my life, and there's probably going to be more of those moments to come also. And uh, um, that belongs to life. And I think when those come, uh, don't be afraid to try something new. There isn't only one way to, to, to see something. It's not because somebody gives you water and, and it's a glass of water and they say, this is a glass of water. You have to drink it like this. There might be 20,000 different uh, ways of, of handling this. And I, now I'm, of course, a glass of water could be skiing for most people. Uh, uh, when it comes to skiing, there are so many different experiences, so many things to see, so many different mentalities. And, and uh, I've seen a lot of them. I've, I've grown in, in Switzerland, I started, and then in the US and then Norway, and now in the French mentality. And they are all so different. They helped me to, to keep skiing and have a lot of fun. And that's what I love in, in what I'm doing now is that I feel it's never ending. You can do one thing so many different ways. Uh, so that is my advice. When you feel stuck, don't be afraid to maybe not completely go away and, and don't stop your career, but, but try something new. Try to see how is it in Japan, for example. It could be amazing. There are a lot of good Japanese skiers and we don't know anything about them, for example. Uh, and that is something I think about when I'm, when I'm a bit stuck. <laughs> So basically you're saying that we all should find our own never-ending road to greatness. Yeah, well, that is what is fun, I think. You need an element of of luck, of unknown, and and to keep life interesting. Thank you very much, much, uh, Arno. It's been a pleasure to have you on our show. And as I said, you're a great person. It's really uh, invigorating, you know, to to just uh, listen to you and and, uh, learn more about your life. And I really hope that you'll do well at Barcelona. Hopefully you're going to be in a top 20. Uh, you aiming aiming to do well there. So good luck with that and good luck with the, the rest of the season. Thank you so much, Timur. It's been an honor. And you folks out there listening, thank you as always. And uh, keep watching Visma Ski Classics. Vasa Lopet is next. But we have many great races left in this season. And of course, more Usha Tulevi podcasts to come. So bye-bye for now and take care of yourselves and go out and enjoy skiing. Bye-bye. Bye. This podcast is a W Sports Media production.